The 360 on Energy and Carbon, hosted by 360 Energy. 360 Energy is a North American leader in energy and carbon reduction. Recently, we have launched the 360 Carbon Excellence Program, designed to make corporate climate change actions more effective and successful. For more information, check the link in our podcast description. All right, welcome back, Dave and John. Great to be back. Yes, it is. And John, it's really good to have you back after your vacation time. So Sandra and I, we've confirmed next time you're going, we're going with you. I think we we only talked about that in the past, but now Sandra and I have confirmed we will be attending with you. Just you should tell Anne. We're we're a bit offended that we didn't get invited to this one, actually. So we're... (laughs) Oh, ten, yeah. 10 days in Paris, you wouldn't have enjoyed it. <laughs> no, no. Sure beats Windsor, Ontario. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so it's always great recording an internal episode with you both. So today we're getting back to our basics, which is our favorite episodes. Our listeners love these episodes. We're going to be talking about net zero procurement and the scopes. So first, let's start off with net zero procurement. What even is it? John, I think you'll take us away on this one. I will. And as we're in basics, I'm going to try and make it basic. Net zero procurement is basically trying to make sure that when you purchase products and services, they're the lowest carbon content possible. It's as simple as that. So you're not buying the carbon usage in. Dave, anything to add to that? That's really very succinct. John, should we add like more into what that means to our listeners? Yeah, I think what you've got to do is you've got to understand the emissions of your suppliers and what they're doing about them. And it's often thought that this is where you as as a purchaser have great power. That said, it depends on how big a purchaser you are and who you're buying your services and goods from. So ultimately that includes scope one, two and three in some fashion which i know we're going to get into in the next series of questions but it's it's, we need need in the next question to really sort people out about scope one two and three but for simplicity net zero procurement is looking at what you buy in goods and services and reducing its contribution to your footprint and to do that you have to establish what your baseline is for the product yeah. now and then figure out what steps you as an organization when you're buying can help reduce that carbon with suppliers yeah. of yours ultimately yeah okay well thank you for that the next question i am really excited to learn about because i think it can be quite confusing what are scopes one two and three emissions okay let, let's take it one two three let's start with one Scope one, that's emissions that result from fuel that you use yourself. Um, So it could be natural gas, it could be uh, gasoline, it could be propane. It's something that you directly use. In a simple way, you burning something in your operation, that's where your scope one emissions come from. And John, can we also suggest that also includes if they have a truck fleet, and why I'm bringing that up because oh, yeah. transportation is a big emission factor, which a lot of times clients will be looking at their fixed assets as and they'll manage that, but they, 
They may not historically manage their truck fleet. Yeah. And that truck fleet is a big part of carbon emissions. So that could also be included in scope one. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and what we know is if we look at carbon emissions in that round, typically one third of them come from transportation. Now, this is where it gets interesting. If you own and operate the trucks, the fuel that goes into them is a scope one emission. If you contract your transport out, they then move from being a scope one emission to a scope three emission. But let's, let's not rush on to scope three. Let's have a crack at scope two. And scope two is fairly straightforward. That would be the electricity that you use that is supplied to you because you're not burning the fossil fuel or, or whatever that's generating that electricity, but you are using the electricity. So you're responsible for those emissions. But for clarity, it, not, it doesn't just include electricity in scope two. If you purchase steam or heat or cooling from, from somebody else, that again, you're not burning the, the fossil fuels to start with, but you're using it, so that's your scope two emissions. So scope one and scope two are the emissions that you have direct control of, and mm. they are quite important. Scope three is... I wanted to mention, just to reinforce, this all relates to any form of fossil fuel that's being used to make yeah. electricity or to make steam or whatever. If it's another form of energy, then it's not deemed as scope two. John, is that correct? It all depends on whether it emits. So what we've got, got to look at, yeah, it typically... Let, let's be blunt. It's the fossil fuels that are the problem. Eliminate fossil fuels and most of our GHG problems have gone away in terms of energy use. We still get emissions mm. from things like waste going to landfill, the manufacture of cement yeah. and other things like that. So it doesn't get rid of them all, but it's your big chunk. And then scope three is all the emissions that aren't your scope one and two. And they technically occur both upstream and downstream. So one way of thinking that, if we, if we are a company making vehicles and they've got internal combustion engines, when we sell that car or that vehicle on, the emissions that come from that arguably are something that we have a responsibility for. That's a complex one. What we're looking at today, particularly talking about the procurement, is, okay, and we go back to the point you raised transport, Dave. So you contract out you contract out your transport. So your transport's not scope one and it's scope three. But it's still going to be the same level of emissions, arguably, as if you own the fleet yourself and you have a responsibility for them and you need to report them. The issue comes there is you don't have control of that fleet. You may have that as provided as a service. So you then have to go to your transport contractor and say, can you tell me what the emissions were associated with the service that you provided to me? This is why scope three becomes far more challenging because you're relying on your supplier having actually measured their emissions. And in many cases, they haven't. What we do find is many organisations use, a, should we say, a calculating platform that puts values to scope three emissions based sometimes on the value of the procurement. It, it's an area where there needs to be quite a lot of development. 
But we can take a very simplistic approach to it. And this is ultra simplistic. And we're in, in basics here. What if you turn around to all your suppliers and say, I want to know that you will be net zero, let's say, by 2030? If they sign up and say they do that, you know then you've got something happening about your emissions that you can get a response to. And it's something that you can measure. You could go, oh, 50% of our suppliers say that they will be net zero by 2030, another 20% 20 by 2050, and we don't know about the others. So you can start reporting on what, what your supply chain is doing. So that's so it. So, John, for... For scope three, yeah. if your suppliers measure yeah. scope one and two, effectively that information could be segmented or parsed out to provide that information to you as a customer to identify how much energy, or sorry, how much carbon because of scope one and two. It just has to relate specifically not to the whole organization, but but particularly to their product. Is, is that correct? Right. Yeah. Now, actually, it's a little more complicated than that. And even though this is basics, because when they're supplying you, they have scope one and two and they have their scope three emissions and then their suppliers uh -huh. have one, two and three. And that goes back. But what you're touching on is actually a really interesting approach. And that is the if you like the carbon footprinting of products and services. So. There's, a, there's an example here in the UK. We, we have a, a potato crisp company, Potato Chips, and they did a project with the Carbon Trust to put a carbon footprint on every packet of chips that they sold. Now, that works really well because you could say, OK, we bought 10,000 packet of, of chips at 10 grams per packet. There we go. We now know where we are. So there is a lot of, in the terms of products, there's a lot to be said for actually manufacturers of, and suppliers of those products working out what the carbon footprint of that particular product is. This is also used in the construction industry, for example, the embedded carbon in a building. How much carbon was accounted for by the concrete, by the steel, by the glazing? And these things can be, can be measured not as accurately and easily as you can your own scope one, but they can be measured. And what's hoped with the procurement process, you know, I said to you, it's your suppliers one, two and three and their suppliers one, two, three and so on. What, what net zero procurement hopes is by the big hitters pushing the button on, we want to do something about it. This reduction, well, this reporting and then reduction process spreads throughout the supply chain and and it's a pretty it's certainly in north america it's a, it's a fairly new process i i suspect and as you and i've talked john europe is further ahead but but ultimately it's now going to get into some form of carbon accounting that is required it will yes. it will need to embed this type of thinking which is not currently in place and and i want to reinforce associate with that because if if you're not really doing energy accounting or per se if you're just tracking your total dollars and not consumption it's really challenging to actually manage carbon because 80 percent of carbon is from energy usage yeah so so now in north america clients 
will need to start tracking and measuring their consumption. And then depending on the jurisdiction they're in, so whether in Ohio or California or Ontario, there's different carbon content depending on the fuel that they're using as well. It's it's not consistent with every uh, jurisdiction. I I think- So so there's the infrastructure that needs to be put in place. Yeah, I think I think what speaks to that earlier today, I was on a call with a a, a company with global sites and they are talking about their sustainability reporting as all part of the ESG, you know, environment, society and, and governance reporting. And one of the conclusions of, of the meeting was was the the underlying platform of any sustainability reporting or sustainability improvement has to be good quality data if you're not measuring the things that cause the impact how do you know what your impact is and how do you know if you're making changes that you're getting improvements yes and i want to reinforce what you're saying john because you're saying there's some platforms that do rough calculations that they'll look at how much money you spent on gas and electricity and they'll they'll extract what they think the carbon content that that's not that's not good enough. You, you really need to have billing, utility billing data and production data specific to that time frame to actually measure yeah. what that status, something that's auditable. auditable. So yeah. that, that's, again, that's foreign to most North American organizations. Yeah. And, and this I, is I, funny because as we're talking, I'm just thinking of like a Pac-Man and I'm seeing the the original manufacturer as the Pac-Man and all the little suppliers. And it's just like they're eating the scope one, two, three, eating the next scope one, two, three, right? It. Like it's, it's, yeah, that's how, kind of how I see it. It's like everyone's scope one, two, three is accounted in someone else's scope one, two, three, if they're supplying um, something. This is so, where we have or to sorry, get... in their scope three. Yeah. yeah. And this is where we have to get really careful about under accounting, over accounting, and uniqueness of data and everything else. But as we said, this is a basics episode. So we're, we're trying to just get the yeah. feel for where, where these things are. We, we, so we, actually- we, we uh, as a challenge, didn't we, to try and keep this short? <laughs> it's always a challenge. But I kind of, as we're talking, what is, I, I think I'm getting the hint of what the purpose is, but why were scopes one, two, and three created? What is the purpose of this for companies? Is it just awareness? Is there a plan to use it in accounting? I, I think, let's go back to the thing about accounting and having a platform. If you go into financial accounting, you have a set of guidelines, depending on what country Mm -hmm. you're in, that they're typically issued by the national accounting body or somebody like that. The problem we got is when we started talking about emissions, people are going, oh, they're a bit complicated. Where are they? So we had, and it's worth mentioning it here, the greenhouse gas protocol came forward to provide, if you like, an international standard for if you're going to measure your emission, this is the way to do it. And you, you, you can go to extremes with it because, for example, you know, we touched on it earlier. You send waste to landfill. Now, if that's organic waste, it's going to break down methane's going to be emitted from it so you've got you've got there but would we want to account for that in the same basket as we're accounting for natural gas that we're burning in our in our furnace well 
no, we, we want to separate these things out. And I, and I, mm -hmm. it is complex because unlike in accounting, we've typically got dollars and there's dollars that come in and dollars that go out. Fairly straightforward. What we've got is we've got all different types. If, imagine it, it's almost like we've got different types of currency that we're trying to account for. So your scopes one, two, and three could, for example, be three different types of currency would be another way of looking at them. And that's what part of how it's developed. But why the whole thing is got to keep coming back to this thing. If we don't measure, we don't know the impact, we can't make change. That's ultimately, it can't be managed. And that's why so many people say it can't be managed because they don't have internal mechanisms within their organization to actually capture this information. No. But it, it's completely doable. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know of organizations and help organizations that they just need to understand what to do and how to do it. And I, I think that's the biggest issue is that, I mean, that's the reason for the podcast, but most people don't really understand what it means and what it takes to do it ultimately. Yeah. I, th I was going to say, I think as well, what we've got to put in, in the framework at the moment in most jurisdictions, accounting for one, two and three are optional. They are not yet mandatory for, for most companies. We've got a company reporting scheme in the UK program where in your financial reports, you need to report on your carbon emissions. But at the moment, scope one and two with three being optional. And so we're, we're going to see growth in that sort of area. And I think what we do get, and we know this from, from our experience, that when you turn around to a, a company and say, oh, and by, doing, by the way, doing this is optional, unless they can see a business benefit, they're not going to do it. Now, the business benefit starts coming in because your customers start saying, hey, we want to know something about your carbon emissions. Tell us what you're doing. We are doing this on a web platform that is possibly hosted by Amazon, Amazon Web Services. And we can look at that and go, ah, oh, if they're doing it and this is going through their data centers, we know that they have a commitment. And in many countries, they are using totally renewable energy for their data centers. Oh, there we go. Isn't that good? So we can start seeing how these things grow and develop. John, I want to stress so to our listeners that yes, regulatory, and I'm, by the way, I'm predicting that within five years, it will be regulated, required in, in certainly North, that's my prediction, North America. But, but more importantly, what I want to convey to our listeners is actually when you do this, when you look under that lens, you're going to find business opportunities and cost savings that you didn't ever look at or understand before. So, I know, you know, everyone's waiting for regulations. I'm not going to do it, but I want to convey to our listeners, when you look under this lens, you will find things out about your business that you never saw before. You'll find bottlenecks, you'll find maintenance challenges, you'll find environmental benefits that when you take action. And by the way, this action doesn't have to be expensive. In fact, most of the time at the beginning, it doesn't take any money at all. It's more of a knowledge base. So I want to make sure our listeners know that you shouldn't be sitting back. In fact, the longer you wait, I'm going to tell you the more expensive it's going to get because there's going to be an onrush, an onrush for people to do this and there won't be enough resources to actually do it. So it's far cheaper. I'm encouraging some customers. It's far cheaper to take this action now than wait. Your thoughts on that? Agreed, totally. 
If you can find a business purpose for doing it, do it now. And the chances are, if you fully understand the subject and look at it, there is something you can be doing in this area to make improvement that you can do that is cost effective and will improve your improve your business performance. Well, on that note, what types of companies should be paying attention to net zero procurement and the scopes? Ah, the simple answer. Go on, Dave, you have a go for the simple answer. The simple answer is everyone should. <laughs> But 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 the, the the reality is it should be prioritized based on customers that are tend to be energy intensive, mm. which it relates to carbon. So I, I would convey the if you're prioritizing these are energy intensive organizations, they know who they are. They're steel, they're cement, pulp and paper, mining. Like the, I, I'm referring to the more of a Canadian chemical, but that doesn't stop you know, commercial or real estate people from taking action as well, because they're, again, they're saving. So that would be my uh, my take is that, you know, everyone should be doing it, but but the ones that should really go at it fast or hard are the, are the energy intensive ones. John, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think for the energy intensive, that's, that's scope one and two, and that's a big one for them. I think in a broader sense, who should be looking at this? If you're and depends on your jurisdiction, but if you're a large entity, for example, in the UK, that would be over 250 employees, then the chances are that regulation is coming down the road for you on this. So early action helps there. And the other the other one would be if you are a supplier to, shall we say, a leading organization that's promoting net zero they're going to be asking you for this and they may even be able to support you with it because if you're part of their supply chain and you're saying we're a bit we're struggling with this what can we do they may well be able to help you as well very small companies it could be interesting but it might be a bit of a diversion you might not have the bandwidth to deal with it and it will depend. Let's just say you're, you're running a coffee shop, a small coffee shop, but you decided that you're going to be an eco-friendly coffee shop. Then, yes, you should be looking at where are you buying your coffee from? Where are you getting your milk from? Where you get your cookies from? All of that, because that speaks to the business model that you've got. And just think for our listeners, they listened to, uh, we had a guest, Paul Rack, who is a small SME. And he conveyed, he's been doing this for years, the value that has brought to him economically has been significant. But I do agree, John, certainly the publicly facing that are trading on stock markets, there's undue pressure for them because of ESG yeah. to take action on this for sure. And then reinforcing what you're saying, they have suppliers that may be privately owned that they'll, they'll be driven by these public corporations that they'll need to start yeah. taking action. As well. I have a question. Do you think a business that's more in tune with their scopes and understands net zero procurement, do you think that that could lead to them getting more business in the future? Dependent on the sector. Uh, yes. Yeah. Because I was kind of yeah. thinking as you're talking, I'm like, okay, let's say, you know, you're you're looking for a supplier and this is something that you now need as a company. If a company already has that established, it's almost more simple yeah. to introduce them into your supplier list. Well, here's one for so you. Here's John and I have been... Go on. Sorry, Dave. Yeah. 
Oh, John and I have been involved with a cement firm for a number of years, and they had took taken action regarding energy, which again is carbon. And because they took action and they they were noted and certified for some of the work they had done, they actually were able to get business out of the U.S. because of their the work that they had done on on the energy slash carbon front. So. We, we, you know, I think it does happen. And as John said, it depends on the sector that you're in. So it's a, it's a worthy move to make. Yeah, I mean, here's, here's, a, here's a thought. If you were a, a company that was unable to claim net zero today, and we do know of some companies that can do that, I'm not going to name them in this podcast, but you, you could be in the situation then when somebody's looking for a, an eco-friendly supplier, you're going to go, actually, yeah. we don't have to give you any emissions data on carbon. Why? We haven't got any. You know, that, that could put you way up the, the list. I want to give another example. We did a, a recent seminar and we had a large automotive assembly operation that conveyed to us in that session that, you know what, if they could make cars without steel, they would. Hmm. Because, and the reason why is steel tends to have a lot of carbon associated with it. So when you hear, and this is a well-known brand, highly respected, when you hear them talking about changing out material that they would typically use in a product because of the carbon content, I think people should start taking this pretty seriously of how things, how the world's going to change. Now, that's because this organization is really forward thinking. But when you start getting regulation in place where you were required to make changes, wow, that, that the world's going to change very fast. Well, to end off this episode, what is the biggest takeaway for our listeners? Do you want me to go, John? <laughs> I'll go. Okay. I'll go. <laughs> okay. I'll take this first off. Okay. Yeah. I, I think because we've entitled this about net zero procurement, I think the biggest takeaway is learn a little bit about this subject and then start asking your suppliers where they stand on their carbon reduction reporting and action. That will give you an interesting insight into into your supply chain. It won't cost you a lot of money to do it, and it will give you some opportunities for a better reporting and maybe identifying opportunities for improvement. I want to work with John's comments because I think they're pretty solid. Certainly, this whole net zero procurement is probably one of the cheapest options for a company to undertake by asking their supply chain to demonstrate what they're doing and ask them to do it like that that's and 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 reinforcing take baby steps you do not have to like eat the elephant uh, you know one bite you you this there's quite a bit of learning so as john indicated start small and start asking those questions and then you can start getting to more detail and asking more information to ensure that you're properly positioned, but also you want to make sure your supply chain is can be successful as well, as John suggested. That's just as important. Yeah, listening to you both, I think 
my biggest takeaway is to start now, especially if this is going to be a standard. It's always easier when you're ahead of the curve, but when it's, you know, oh, in a year from now, you're going to need to have your scopes one, two, and three emissions, it may be a scramble trying to get that all together. So I think, you know, start asking those questions now, have those conversations with your suppliers, have those conversations internally, and start putting together your scopes one, two, and three emissions. Can I add one more thing as you guys were talking? I, this is not strictly a procurement job. This this involves a variety of people in your organization from procurement to accounting to operations. So, you know, often industry focus, they, they do things in silos. This is, it encompasses the whole organization. And so listeners should be aware of that. This isn't one department's job to, to do. All right. Well, thank you so much for another great episode. Thanks, Lysander.